Well, today we're continuing. It seems like we forgot about it, but we haven't. Uh, we're continuing in our march through the book of Romans. Uh, this morning we're in Romans chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 9 to 11. Uh, but perhaps we need a little refresher since it's been a while since we've been in the book of Romans. Um, how many of you uh, attended Simcha last week? Wonderful. Um, raise your hands real high. Okay, if you did not attend Simcha, I want you to talk to one of these people about Simcha, because once you do, you'll make sure that you go to Simcha next year. But one of the things that our speaker, Dr. Seth Postel, said, that when you want to study a, a part of Scripture, whether it's a verse or a section, the best thing to do is to read the whole book first, and then read the whole book again, and then read it a third time, and then read the section. Because you see, the whole book has a context, and the section must match the context of the whole book, and the verses that you're reading have to match the context of the section. And so I want to remind you of the bookend context of the book of Romans. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Yeshua HaMashiach, called to be an apostle, separated to the good news or the gospel of God. And the bookend verse is Romans 15, verse 16. Paul writes that I might be a minister of Yeshua HaMashiach to the Gentiles, ministering the good news the gospel of God. So what's the book of Romans all about? The good news of God. Now we come to this section in Romans, Romans 5, verses 9 to 11, and I want you to give, give you the context of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, speaks about peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 9, talks about joy in tribulation, you may remember, if you have a good memory, that the last message was called, Not Only That. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. The section that we're reading this week, Romans 5, verses 9 to 10, talks about salvation, but salvation in the perspective of past, present, and future. And then Romans 5, verses 12 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 21, talks about the contrast of righteousness versus condemnation. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Romans 5, verses 9 to 11, and the title of the message this morning is Much More Than. Much More Than. So let me read these verses to you as we begin. Much More Than. Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, oh, I really like that phrase, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. To which we should all say, Amen. Now there's some interesting 
contextual aspects to this particular three-verse section of Scripture. And as I was going over this this week, it was interesting. Um, yesterday, uh, my daughter Ellen and I went out to lunch together. We try to go out at least once a week just to spend time one-on-one. I do the same with my son, Sam. I do the same with my wife. It's important that you don't get too wrapped up in your own stuff, that you forget to spend time with the people you love. And we were sitting there having lunch at Borders Bookstore, sharing a grilled cheese sandwich. If you've never been to Borders and had a grilled cheese sandwich, you don't know what you're missing. And she said, what made you smile this week? Isn't that a neat question? How about just some answers from the peanut gallery? Three answers. What made you smile this week? The Caps won, game number two. What made you smile this week? Someone from this section, yes. Yes, the Capitals beat the Golden Knights. How about a different one from this section? What made you smile this week? Yes. Your children, amen. What made you smile this week? Your four-year-old granddaughter crawled in your lap. That would definitely make you smile. Yeah. Oh, wow. Amen. Well, I told you, Elle, you know what made me smile this week? She said, what? I said, I saw something in these three verses I'd never seen before. Does anybody else besides me smile when God shows you something new? I mean, that's the best. You know, we pray for his wisdom. And this is what he showed me. Salvation, as most people think about it, is not really salvation. What? Let me repeat it. Salvation as most people think about it, is not really salvation. Because we think of salvation as something that happened to us. Right? Let me read the verse 9 again to you. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, that's past tense, we shall be saved from wrath. That's future tense. And it reminded me of something that I was taught from another teacher that salvation is both past, present, and future. We are saved, past tense, from the penalty of of sin. We are currently being saved, present tense, from the power of sin. And we will be saved, future tense, from the very presence of sin. But this verse also says, we shall be saved from the wrath. Do do you follow the, the importance of this verse? Because, past tense, we have been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. It's not sinking as deep into you as it did into me. And and here's why. And and I want to quote, if I can, if I will, from an article that was written by a gentleman named Joseph, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Schumann, S-C-H-E-U-M-A-N-N. And it's called Five Truths About the Wrath of God. We don't hear that preached very often, do we? The wrath of God. Well, He writes, 
The doctrine of the wrath of God has fallen on hard times. In today's world, and by the way, this was written in 2014. I think it's as true today as it was then. In today's world, any concept of God's wrath upsets our modern sentiments. It's too disconcerting, too intolerant. We live in a day where we have set ourselves as the judge and God's character is on trial. How can hell be just? Why would God command the Israelites to destroy the Canaanites? Why does God always seem so angry? The fact that so many people struggle with these questions and many more like them means that more than ever, right thinking is needed about the doctrine of God's wrath. It is needed for motivation, for the life of a believer, fuel for proper worship, and as a toolbox to confront objections to Christianity itself. And so here he says are five biblical truths about the wrath of God. Number one, God's wrath is just. God's wrath is just. It has become common for many to argue that the God of the Old Testament is a moral monster that is by no means worthy of worship. However, biblical authors have no such problem. In fact, God's wrath is said to be in perfect accord with God's justice. The Apostle Paul writes, quote, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans 2, verse 5. God's wrath, then, is in proportion to human sinfulness. Similarly, Proverbs twenty-two twelve says, If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? J.I. Packer summarizes it like this, quote, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is, instead, a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Point number two, God's wrath is to be feared. God's wrath is to be feared. God's wrath is to be feared because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 God's wrath is to be feared because we are justly condemned sinners apart from Messiah. Romans 5.1 God's wrath is to be feared because He is powerful enough to do what He promises. Jeremiah 32.17 And God's wrath is to be feared because God promises eternal punishment apart from Messiah. Matthew 25 and verse 46. Point number three, God's wrath is consistent in both the old and new covenants. God's wrath is consistent in both the old and new covenants. It is common, he writes, to think of the Old Testament God as mean, harsh, and wrath-filled, and the God of the New Testament is kind, patient, and loving. Neither of these portraits are representative of Scripture's teaching on the wrath of God. 
we find immensely fearful descriptions of the wrath of God in both the Old and the New Testament. And here are just a few examples. Jeremiah thirty twenty three, Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. Here's another one from Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And one more. Revelation 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Are you getting a picture? Point number four. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. Now, this may seem counterintuitive, but hear me out. God is love and does all things for his glory. He loves his glory above all. And oh, by the way, that's a good thing. Therefore, God rules the world in such a way that he brings himself maximum glory. This means that God must act justly and judge sin. In other words, respond with wrath. Otherwise, God would not be God. God's love for his glory motivates his wrath against sin. Admittedly, God's love for his own glory is a most sobering reality for many and not very good news for sinners. It is, after all, quote, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, verse 31. And then finally, point number five. God's wrath is satisfied in Messiah. God's wrath is satisfied in Messiah. And it's here that we have the ultimate good news. Messiah Yeshua came into the world to save sinners. Timothy 1, verse 15, 1 Timothy. Because of Messiah, God can rightly call sinners justified. Romans three twenty six. God has done what we could not do, and he has done what we didn't deserve. And he closes his short article with a quote from Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God, shouldst die for me. Much more than having been justified by his blood. This is a statement of truth. This is a statement as to what has already occurred in the life of the believer. This is not something that has to happen over and over and over again. This was a one-time act to those who come to faith in the one-time act 
of God the Son at the obedience of God the Father to die in our place so that the wrath of God would be placed on Him forever and all times. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Dear ones, we're not only granted life eternal, we're granted escape from the wrath of God. And you want to read about the wrath of God? Read Revelation again this week. And as Dr. Postel suggested, don't just read it once or twice. Read it three times. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For, what's the word we can always substitute for for? Who said it? Because if when we were enemies, are you an enemy of God anymore? No. Because when, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled through the death of his son, much more, are you getting the understanding that you got more than you think you have? Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, when you read a verse like that, you need to stay there for a minute. How then will we be saved by his life? Because his life, are you listening? Is a resurrected life. His life is a new life. In a way, we could say, his old life, when he became sin for us, died on that execution stake. And when God raised him up again, he raised him up to new life, having already poured out his wrath on him. Are you following me? And so the reconciliation that we have also promises that the wrath of God that was meant for sinners has already been poured out on His Son, and His Son, who now has new resurrected life and is also now our life, promises us that the wrath to come has already been spent for us. Oh, I'm so glad somebody said amen and thank God. I'm finding in my life as, as I grow older and older that God's Word is becoming more and more amazing if we spend time in it. And I still don't spend enough time in it. Praise God for the capitals, but I still spend too much time on sports. Praise God for finding cars for people because they think that I'm good at finding really good cars at cheap prices, but I still spend too much time on Craigslist. And praise God that he's showing me that, and I'm starting to spend more and more time on his word and not just reading it. Oh, I'm glad you said amen to that too. Because it's not just reading the word that enriches your soul, it's eating it that enriches your soul. Do you understand that what 
has happened to you because of his work and is a done deed also has benefits for you in the world in the days to come, especially in the last days. Because much more than the fact that we're justified, made righteous, is that we will be saved from God's wrath because he's a just God. And not only that, I just love this three-verse section. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Well, what does that mean? What happened to Adam and Eve when they, and I say they because they were one flesh, when they sinned in the garden. They were cut off from God. They were kicked out of the garden. They, in fact, on their own, tried to hide from God. And so the disconnect was real to them before God ever walked through the garden and said, what you doing? But God wants mankind to be reconciled to him. God wants mankind to live again in the garden. We heard it this morning in the walk through the Bible when in the last chapters of Ezekiel, the world is described almost as a garden of Eden. God Aden, and he calls the name of the place. Does anybody remember from the video? Adonai Sham, who said it? God is there. And when we're reconciled to God, are you ready for some really good news? God is here. Not just there, he's here. And so Paul writes, not only that, I mean, you can almost... You can almost feel his excitement as he shares this news with this believing congregation in Rome where he's not even at. He's just writing a letter to them so that they should know what they have and live accordingly. Not only that. I mean, it's almost like a hundred times better than those info commercials. And if you buy right now, we'll double your order free with additional shipping and handling. With God, there's no additional shipping and handling. <laughs> it's free. And he doesn't just double our order. He expands it into inter eternal dimensions. Not only that, but we rejoice in God. Well, here's the question. What do you need to know in order to rejoice in him? The fact that being justified by his blood, we're also saved from his wrath. The fact that being reconciled, we're also saved through his death and his life. And we rejoice in God through our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach. We sang the song this morning. We worship you, we worship you alone before your holy throne. 
There is no rejoicing if there is no God. I'm as big a Capitals hockey fan as anybody else. But there's a little difference between rejoicing if they win the Stanley Cup and rejoicing in God. And you know what the difference is? A Stanley Cup win is a one-time event. Rejoicing with God is an eternal reality. Not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I want to remind you for just a moment a few things about that word reconciliation. To be reconciled means to fix what's broken. To be reconciled means to join back together what has been torn apart. And reconciliation is God's desire for mankind. Not just that we individually would be reconciled to him, but that all of mankind would be reconciled to him. And for me, the most beautiful verse in all of Scripture about reconciliation is found in Romans chapter 9. Will you turn there with me as I close? Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 11. I'm sorry. Romans 11, verse 11. Paul writes, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And we'll talk about this later on in the series on Romans. But the they here refers to the Jewish people. The stumbling refers to their national rejection of Messiah some 2,000 years ago. And then Paul answers his own question, certainly not. But through their fall, their rejection, in order to provoke them to jealousy, salvation, Yeshua has come to the nations, to the Gentiles. Paul continues, if their fall or their rejection is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world. If they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Reconciliation of all of mankind is God's greatest desire because when the world is reconciled to him, that's when the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem show up. Reconciliation is God bringing full circle his kingdom on earth. Lost in the Garden of Eden, found again in the last days. And we have that reconciliation now. And I think sometimes we take it lightly. We have that reconciliation in good times. We have that reconciliation in bad times. We sang the song this morning, 
in the wilderness. Did anybody like me as they were singing that song think to themselves, yeah, but I still don't like it? (laughs) Amen. But you know what? Even in the wilderness, we still have reconciliation. And that reconciliation saves us from the wrath of God, even though we walk a wilderness walk sometimes. Just as a a quick uh, proof text, how many of you are walking in a wilderness experience of some sort right now? Look at that. Keep your hands up. How many of you are still reconciled to God? Amen. Let's pray. Avinu Malkano, our Father, our King, we give you thanks for the reconciliation that we have through the blood of your Son. We give you thanks that just as the Passover lamb in Egypt some 3,500 years ago was not to have a bone of its body broken, so 2,000 years ago not a bone of your Son's body was broken. We thank you, Lord, for the understanding of the role of Messiah revealed in the Scriptures and lived out. 2,000 years ago and also lived out today and also lived out in the promise of the future. And so, Lord, would you help us to always remember what we had, what we have, and what we will have. Salvation from the penalty of sin. Salvation currently from the power of sin. And, Lord, in the future, salvation from the very presence of sin. Thank you, Lord, for your eternal gift of wrath-free life. Much more than just understanding we're saved. And I pray this and I thank you in the name of your Son and our life, Yeshua. Let's all say together, Amen. Will you stand with me, please, as we close with the benediction? I didn't realize how beautiful this benediction is and how it touches hearts until three people at the Simcha weekend came up to me after the uh, Shabbat morning service and said that the benediction sung in this way brought tears to their eyes. So let's sing it from a heart of understanding of what we have. Amen? Amen. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May His grace and His face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace. Yivarech Adonai v'yishmerecha Yair Adonai panav elecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panav elecha V'yaseim lecha shalom V'yaseim lecha shalom This is the way you shall be blessed From day to day he'll be your rest This is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, he is your rest. May the Lord.
May the Lord bless and keep you. May his face and his grace shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace. Let us bless the wine and the bread as we prepare to go downstairs for our Oneg Shabbat. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, borei periha gafen. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. In our Messiah's name we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.